Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to be here, isn't it? It's exciting to be in the presence of the living God. Hallelujah. All because of a cross like that. A couple of thousand years ago, that a man volunteered, a man who was really God. But he was in a man's body, and he volunteered. He went. They didn't make him go. He could have said no. He could have brought seven legions of angels and fought them. But he went because he loves us. Amen. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross was and is the center of all human history. Everything that came before it was in one way or another. You think, no, not everything. Surely Nebuchadnezzar becoming king in Babylon. Yes, God said, I put you there. Every single thing that was happening on the way was leading up to the cross of Jesus Christ. And three days later, when he'd conquered the power of sin and abolished death, the Bible says he's abolished death. The Bible actually uses that word, he abolished death. Hallelujah. History was set on a new course toward another event that will even be greater than the first event. And all of human history since the cross has been building up towards this great event. And it's likely... I really feel that we will be here when it happens. At least that's our hope. Hallelujah. We'll be alive to see it. Jesus is coming again. And he's not coming as a minute. Great to have babies about the place. Lovely seeing two little girls. It's great. Jesus came like that the first time. A meek and mild baby. He had to breastfeed off his mother. He had to have his nappy changed. He had to be raised up in school. He had a mickey taken. He was cruelly treated by other kids in school, just like we've been, right? He went through all of that. But this time he's coming back to rule and reign in righteousness, glory. And those who've been faithful and true are going to rule with him. Now, everybody, those who've been faithful and true. And Jesus warned us, that in the days before his return, in the latter chapters of Matthew, he's talking to his disciples and he's warning us that in the, in the last days, they're going to be like no other. There's going to be things that have never been seen. It's a time that couldn't have even been imagined. Even 25, 30 years ago, not many people could imagine what we're seeing now on our televisions and on our social medias and in our newspapers, you couldn't imagine they'd be doing those things. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not giving them any credit or credibility because Jesus is in charge. But he did tell us that it was going to happen. So it should be encouraging us to know that he is coming soon. And if God's chosen you to be alive right now at this moment in history, you need to know that you're not here by accident. You were born for such a time. As this, you have a destiny to fulfill. And if you're a friend of God, you're also a soldier in the army of God. And the world's gone a different way. Not sure where they got the word woke from, but it's a popular word these days. But us Christians don't need to be awoke. We need to be awake. It's time to wake up. It's time to move. It's time to step out in these last days. And it's up to you because you have a destiny, but it's up to you to fulfill it. God will not force it upon you. No one's going to make you, especially not God, because he gave you free will. But if you don't understand God's plan for this final hour, 
you could potentially fall into the enemy's trap. You could become lethargic and apathetic. And I'm seeing it, the passion of so many believers is cool. It's no good pretending. It's no good saying, no, 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 we're, all, we're, all on, we're not all on fire. I've seen so many who've cooled. I've even seen some plunged into a state of depression. Even this morning I've heard somebody, I'm not going to church again. That's what the devil's doing. And if you let him, we'd be glad to do it. But you're in charge. You are in charge. God has given you all that you need to come through in victory. It all started, didn't it, a couple of years, four years ago now with that COVID-19 pandemic. And everybody starts using that as an excuse. Oh, I don't need to go to church anymore. I can see it on Facebook. I'm on Facebook now. But if you're at home watching me on Facebook, get out of your house and get into a church and assemble yourself together with the people of God because that's what you're called to do and that's the obedient thing to do. Right? So don't just stand there watching Facebook. <laughs> Well, they do. And they watch the telly, you know, these televangelists. Can I be a televangelist? I was one of them. One day, I might be. But if I was, I'd still be saying, what are you doing watching the telly? There's 5,000 seats in this auditorium. Get your bottom down here and fill one of them. That's what I'd be saying if I was on the telly. Because it's when we're together that we have the power. It's when we're together that we feed one another, that we comfort one another. We keep one another warm. Fall out of the fire, you go coal. You've seen that, you don't probably haven't. When I was a kid, we used to have coal fires. And the coals would fall out and they'd be glowing red when they were in there. And they'd fall out and within a few seconds, they'd start going dull. And then they'd be black. And they'd be cold. And a few minutes later, you can pick them up. Don't have that now. We don't have that illustration, but we should. We need it. Let's all build a fire. Let's build it in here. Hallelujah. A passion's cool. Lots of people. Mental health's become a, um, a global problem, and people love it. They like talking about it. I mean, I'm talking about it now, but they kind of worship it. Oh, it's great. It's really hip, hip to talk about mental health, even in the church. There are those who surrendered. But there's the truth of God from the Bible. If you've got a mental health problem and you have to take a drug or something like that, that's not, that's not what I mean. He doesn't want you living in depression. He doesn't want you down on yourself. And it all happens, it happens to all of us. It happens to me, believe it or not. Right? Sometimes I get down on myself. I get defeated. But I've got no excuse to stay down there for long, for many minutes. Certainly not for days on end. Because God says, I have not given you a spirit of timidity or fear. I have given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound, well-disciplined mind. Turn to somebody near you and say, I've got a sound mind. Come on, say it. I've got a sound mind. Hallelujah. And you have. And the world wants you to feel sorry for yourself. It wants you to feel like a victim. It wants you to turn against the victimizers. The victimizers. Who are they? Them. Them. Who are them? We don't know, do we? Established society, that's what they say it is. And they want us to pull down everything that we've held dear to all of these centuries. They want us to pull it all down so they can build their utopia on the ruins of it all. It's a lie. And it's come from the pit of hell. The Bible says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing. 
of your mind. It says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're literally living in the end times. But even so, very few churches are even talking about these things. They don't like to talk about it. Somebody might get offended. Well, I'm sorry if I'm standing on anybody's toes. No, I'm not. And you know I'm not. Huh. They're talking about it. You know, but even when they do talk about it, a lot of the time, the Christians are not even listening. Some have begun to forsake assembling themselves together, Mrs. Facebook. The clock's ticking. You need to seek God while he may be found. And you need to understand what's coming next. And understand this too. God is concerned about the whole world. You know what the Bible says? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. It is not the will of God that any should perish. God loves the whole world. But you know what? I know a lot of people don't like this. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, isn't it, again? Another lie from the pit of hell. Another work of the devil in these last days. That's what that is, okay? God loves the whole world, but Israel is his firstborn son and the apple of his eye, and it's always been his time clock. And when did it start ticking? When did he put a new battery in? No. When God spoke to a 99-year-old man, in the book of Genesis, in chapters 17, I'm going to read it. When Abram, Abram, A-B-R-A-M, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. Do you know what that means? It means God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. That's a good deal. Sounds like a good deal. How did Abram feel about that? At this, this is verse 3, chapter 17, at this, Abram fell on his face on the ground. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. You will no longer be called A-B-R-A-M. Instead, you will be called Abraham. And the is the breath of God. And Sarah got one too. She was Sarai. And he went, Sarah. The breath of God was in her. And the breath of God is in you. And you need to know it. You need to let him breathe through you, move through you, walk through you. Hallelujah. Glory. He says, because you're going to become the father of many nations and I'll make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. You don't mention it here, but one particular king was absolutely among them. And God changed his wife's name, Sarah, as I've said. And uh, she'd always been barren. She's an old lady. I think she's 90 now. And she's an old lady. She couldn't have babies when she was young, fit and healthy. And now she's 90, so what chances she got? You know, but God says, I'll give you a child. And she laughed. She said, because you've laughed, you can call this baby Isaac. It means laughter. Yeah, because I could do anything. And she had the baby a year to the day later. When he became a man, his father offered him as a sacrifice in obedience to God. 
Hebrews 11:19 says Abram reasoned that God could raise the dead and in a sense he did receive Isaac back from the dead that was the day when God changed Abram's name to Abraham when he made the deal the covenant that was the day the, t- the clock started ticking still ticking Marvelous things have happened in our last few centuries with the apple of God's eye. 1948, May 14th, the, the nation was born out of the ruins, out of nothing. How was it possible? Only with God was it possible. But there's lots more dates that I could give you. I haven't got time to do it now. But God has never took his eye off Israel and he has never stopped the clock. Sometimes I want to stop the clock. I want to stop the bus and get off. But God goes through it all. He knows what's coming. So God made a covenant with a man called Abraham. And that man was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son. Now I know he had another son. He had others after too. But but the Bible says that Isaac was his only begotten son. And God says to him, will you sacrifice your only begotten son? And Abraham said, yes, Lord. No big argument about it. Yes, Lord. He decided immediately to obey God. And quite often we are put with a sacrifice in front of us and we toss and we turn and we ask for another fleece and another one because that one's wet through and need a a, a new one now, right? We just need to say, yes, Lord. That's all. And you know, because Abraham was willing to do that, God became willing to do that. If Abraham had not done that, God would have had to wait and look and seek and search for another man who was willing to lay his son down because legally that man had given away the earth to, to the devil. And until he found a man that was willing to make a sacrifice for God, God could not send Jesus to the cross. So you have a lot to thank the first Hebrew for. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus was present at the creation. God told Satan in the Garden of Eden, he's going to step on you. He's going to step on your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head, devil. So he was there. And the deal was already underway and Jesus was already coming. Jesus was already going to be the redeemer. But the timing, it had to have Abraham do what he did so that God could put in his plan to do. God knew he'd do it, by the way. He didn't twist his arm. He knew he'd found a man in the earth of the Chaldees and he brought him out and he'd, he brought him through all sorts of stuff. And he knew he was a failure of many things. He got loads wrong, but God still knew now how many failings this guy had. His heart was right for God. So if you've got loads of failings in your life and loads of things you've done wrong, God knows, don't worry, but he also knows is your heart after God. And that's all he wants. It's all he wants. All the other stuff, everyone's failed. All he wants is a heart that's for God. It took 2,000 years from Abraham saying, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't think his wife ever spoke to him again after. The Bible kind of makes that clear. God first. Family second. Business third. It's important. Anyway, it took 2,000 years. 2,000 years after that, we're still here and waiting, but I think we're about time think we are about time. 4,000 years might seem like a long time to you from Abraham to us, 
well, you know what? To the, it's a thousand years is but a day, and a day to a thousand years to the Lord. On his eternal time clock, it's nothing. But you know what? His promises are still coming true. Jesus, he's the promise keeper. It's in that song, wasn't it? Waymaker, miracle worker. He's still a miracle worker. He's still the waymaker. He's still the promise keeper. He's still the light in the darkness. Hallelujah. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. God renamed him, called him Israel. Israel had 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. You know that Joseph went down into Egypt as a forerunner for his brothers. You know that the others went down there because of the famine. You probably know those things. If you don't, you need to get your Bible and start reading it. They were driven by famine to go down and to live into Egypt. And eventually they became slaves. Why? Because the world was afraid of them. The world's afraid of us. That's why it's trying to push us into a corner all the time. It's afraid of us because we're the most powerful force on planet Earth. Not Putin, not tanks, not Biden. We, the church, the Christians, the real, true, honest-to-God believers are the powerful force on this earth. And we need to know it and we need to live like it. Hallelujah. Anyway, 430 years they were there. And then Moses, a Levite child of Levi down through the generations, Moses and his brother Aaron were used to bring them out and to deliver them. And God told them to build a tabernacle. And then God appointed Moses to be the first high priest to minister in that tabernacle. So that's my introduction done. This is where we start today's Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. That's what we're up to. Can't hear any pages shuffling. Only if I can see one. Where's your Bible? Come on. Have a Bible. Have a Bible with you. It's a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's, it's your power. You know this. That devil can say what he likes to us. You just say it on your bike, devil. This is what God says. You don't know it. The devil will wrap you around his little finger. He'll lead you on paths that you don't want to go down. It won't be the devil. He won't have red cape on and horns and stuff and a fork. It'll be people at work. Yeah, but the Bible says this, and the Bible's full of contradictions. And the Bible, no, have you read it? No. So where did you hear all that junk? Verse 1, chapter 9. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place or the holiest of all. Depends on your Bible translation that you're reading. But the holiest of all, the holiest of holiests in one translation. But you get the picture. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen that, haven't you, on Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it, we'd, be, we'd be pretending it's in Ethiopia and they're looking for it in Ethiopia. It's not in Ethiopia. Right? It's not been taken up to heaven. It's under the Temple Mount right now. It's in a tunnel. Josiah put it there. King Josiah. Solomon built the tunnels because when he built the temple, God told him there will be a coming a time that Israel will fall away. That's when he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray right, I'll, and seek my face, I'll return and I'll heal the land. Solomon knew that all that was going to happen. Solomon's built a labyrinth of tunnels underneath the Temple Mount. Josiah knew that it was all coming to an end and he took it down there and it's down there now and they know it's there but the Muslims on top won't let them take it out but they know it's there because they've had sonar things right 
they know virtually where it is, but it'll cause ructions when they get it out. But let me tell you this, ructions are coming, and it's coming out. The Ark of the Covenant has not been destroyed. Do you think God had just let it rot in a corner somewhere, like an old car in a scrapyard? It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Ark of his presence. Of course it's still intact. It's still got the manna in it. The manna that went bad one day later is still there for thousands of years later, and it's still fresh. If you open that jar of gold with the manna in now, you could eat that manna. It's still got the rod from Aaron. You know, have you ever had a staff? I've got, I had a staff at home. I've turned it into something else now. But a staff cut down from a tree, right, and peeled all the bark off, and there it is. Aaron had one. It was from an almond tree. And God said, just watch what I can do. And he made it bud and blossom and bear fruit. It had almonds on it. That's still there in the ark. And guess what else is there? The tablets of stone that Moses wrote the law on. They're in the ark. And the ark's there. And it ain't in Ethiopia. Me gets carried away, isn't it? But never mind. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we can't explain these things in detail. Now, that's what Paul's saying. I'm saying, I'm going to explain them a little bit. Our reason being, the Hebrew children he was writing to, when they initially received this letter, they understood the tabernacle. Well, it was the temple then, but they understood it because it was still there. It was still functioning. People, and they'd been raised up in it. Before they got saved, that's where they went to worship. You know, some of them were going back there to worship. So they understood, but we don't understand. And they saw the point, and maybe we don't. And that's why I heard a few weeks ago from somebody, and we don't think the book of Hebrews is for us. We think it's just for the Jews. No, it's for us. The Jews already knew. We need to know. And of course God wants us to understand it, and the Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth of it. Because head knowledge is okay. You know, I've got an Encyclopedia Britannica somewhere. It's got loads and loads and loads of knowledge in it. Millions of words, 44 million, I think. Words. They don't mean a thing. What you need is revelation from the Holy Spirit to take it past your head, into your heart, so you know stuff that you couldn't really know. You understand stuff. Because Christianity is really quite stupid, isn't it? If you think about it. Thinking about a guy that raised from the dead and he's still alive 2,000 years later. It's not logical, is it? But we know. We know above all things. It's the truth. But you can't know that if the Holy Spirit doesn't move and plant that into your heart. You see, when I got saved, before I got saved, I used to think, this is ridiculous. I used to read the Bible still in the Gideon's Bibles in the hotel. I can't make head in the tail of this. It doesn't make sense. It's rubbish. And then I got saved and Boom! I never, I never put it down for the first six months of being a Christian. I, I was just absorbing it like a sponge. And, I, and people would say, I don't believe that. And I'd go, why? How can you not? Are you stupid? But I was stupid, wasn't I? So I understand why. But you need the revelation of the Holy Spirit to make it real. And we can't do it without him. Um, we just can't. And the cults try and, and it doesn't work. Just pe- keep people locked in in bondage. Head knowledge. Anyway, throughout the, the book of Hebrews, the author's looking back and he's quoting from the Old Testament, which is all the Bible they had then. And at this moment in time, he's talking about the Old Covenant tabernacle from the book of Exodus. And we would find, if we had another few days, 
we would find that every single detail from that book, right, from Exodus, regarding the tabernacle, which it goes through twice. It devotes so much to the, the building of this tabernacle and all of its furnishings. And, and as spectacular as it was at the time, we would know, and they probably didn't know, but we know now that it was speaking of something far greater that was going to come later. So let's take a quick look, just a quick look. Because right, Paul says we haven't got time, but I'm going to just take a bit of time and have a look. But before I go on, look at verse 1. Verse 1 said they had regulations for worship and a place for worship. Listen up, Facebook. Right? We do too. We have regulations. We don't invent the forms of worship. God says in the Bible, listen, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that's what we do. And you might not like them, but that's nothing to do with it. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And he says, preach the word in season and out. That means when there's an opportunity, and if there isn't an opportunity, make one. And that's what we do. That's what I do anyway. He says, publicly read the scriptures, and we do. Paul also says, you know, one to, one to speak in a tongue and another to interpret. In it. I'd rather you prophesied, actually, and the whole church can be blessed. And we do what we try to. We should do more of that. Sometimes we're scared. Don't be scared. If God gives you a word and you feel a word coming up and you're bubbling up in your heart, come on, I can't believe it's never happened, right? In fact, I should share this. I should share a bit of testimony. I should, I should just encourage the brothers and sisters with this word that God's given me. Don't chicken out next time. Do it. Do it. Nobody will laugh. Honest. The Bible says we should do things decently and in order, and we try to. I think we do anyway. We do our best. And if you don't think we do, come and tell me. But he also says he's given them a place for worship. And he has. It's the house of God. It's not your armchair. It's the house of God. It's not the TV. It's, the, it's among the saints. If he was invited to King Charles's coronation, I don't think you'd say, I'm not going. I don't think you'd turn up late either, to be honest. I think you'd go, and you'd show him respect. Is God not worthy of at least, at least as much respect as King Charles. I think he is. You know, the priest didn't get creative in putting all this together. Oh, I fancy that over there. No, I don't like the idea of a white background. I, I, I'd like an apple white. We had some of that in our kitchen. Apple white. No. God says white and red and purple and blue. That's what color they did it. You say, well, that's a bit gauche. Well, it is. But God had a purpose in it. You know, so they did what they were told. Anyway, verse 2, it says there were two rooms in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle tells us of a glorious truth about our God. The God we've been worshipping and we're still worshipping. He wants to dwell with us. And he wants us to dwell with him. And the tabernacle was a tent. And the people of Israel carried it around with them in the wilderness. And they pitched it wherever they landed. You know, and they were following these pillars. One at night, it was a pillar of fire. Oh, the pillar's up and moving. We've got to go pack this stuff. And away they go following it. Now, they might have been in a place days or weeks or even months. But when that pillar moved during the day, it was a, a pillar of cloud. When it moved, they moved. And when they got where they were going, when the pillar stopped, they pitched the tent. The Levites would pitch the tent and assemble the furniture. And all in order that God had prescribed. And at the same time, all of us lot, because we wouldn't be Levites, all of us lot would be pitching our tents in the place where we had been allocated to go. And it was all strictly 
in order. And when it moved, this is brilliant, when it moved, if you could hover over it in a helicopter and look down on it, you would see that the order that they were told to move in, tribe by tribe, Judah went off first, right? And, and it was a massive big cross. And it was moving through the wilderness, huge. And you're up there in your helicopter, or devil's up there on his cloud, scratching his head thinking, I wonder if that means anything. Well, it does, devil, and you know it now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He, he knows for sure what it meant now. But God knew it. Right in the beginning when he said, build this, do this, make it that color, make it that shape, do, 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 do this, move this way. God's got it all planned. He knows it's all about Jesus from the beginning. Hallelujah. But the two rooms also says something else that's not quite so good. It says the way into the Holy of Holies has not yet been opened. Only one man, the high priest, can come into my presence, says the Lord, and only one day a year. But the whole camp couldn't come in, not even the other Levites, the other priests, just the one. In the old covenant, God dwelt with the people. The ark was with them. They took it into battle. They weren't going to battle without it. They took it with them. It was the presence of God. The presence of God was their power. The presence of God is our power. The joy of the Lord is our strength. They couldn't go in. The veil in the temple was separating off the Holy of Holies. But the day that Jesus died, the hour, that no, the minute, when Jesus said, it is finished. Somebody heard somebody's trousers ripped. They just bent down. But it was, it was the veil in the temple from top to bottom. And the way in was open. And we can go in. Hallelujah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 6? is that he's seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I'm enjoying the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards me. Are you? It's good, isn't it? Oh, it's great. We are seated with him. You know, the priests never sat down in the temple. They had to stand up to eat. They couldn't sit down. There were no chairs. But when Jesus sat down, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. The tabernacle taught that God wanted us, but it wasn't the way to bring us in. We needed another. And the other is Jesus Christ. His body is the veil that was torn, the body that was broken. And through it, we can go in. And that's why the Bible says, do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it says that in the book of Corinthians, the first Corinthians, and it's talking to individual people. But a bit later on, or actually it's a bit earlier on when it says it, it's, it's, we all know John 3.16, don't we? So you can remember 3.16. Well, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Who? All of you together. And God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. Do you not realize how awesome a statement that is? Do we believe our Bibles? Honestly, hand on heart. Do we know for sure it's the word of God? Or is it not? It's a nice book. It's probably the best book. But it's just a book. No. It's the word of God. 
from his mouth to our hearts. Anyway, what about the furniture? I think we might not get to the furniture. It don't matter. Instructions were there on how to make every bit of it. The menorah, the golden lampstand, beaten from one block of gold, and it's got little leaves and olive blossoms and all sorts of stuff on it. What were the almond? Almond. And at the top, there were seven lights. You've seen menorahs, but this was a big one. It was stood in the temple, and it was solid gold. And it was the light of the world. And it was also a tree. It looked like a tree. It came up with a stump, three branches, and then seven, seven tops. And it was like the light-giving lampstand speaks of the tree in the Garden of Eden that they could no longer eat from. And they were banned from the garden. And fellowship was broken. But it says, I'm going to restore it in all its fullness one day. In Revelation chapter 22, we see that that, that, that tree yields fruit in every month. 12 times a year and it's bringing the nations healing it's bringing the nations healing the nations need healing more than anything else so it speaks of God's sanctuary a better Eden where life will flow and bring the nations together for healing the true light of the world was coming Jesus Christ which is why in Revelation 21 the people of God represented by a great city, said he has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God is its light and its lamp is the lamb. There's not one piece of that furniture. I've got loads of them. I'm going to finish there. There's not one piece of it that isn't pointing to Jesus. God has never lost control. Whatever you see on social media, or TV news, or any of that stuff, whatever they try and ram down your throat, spit it out, because God has not lost control. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked down at his mum, and he looked over at John, and he said, Mum, he's going to look after you from now on. John, she's your mum. He's in absolute agony. He's got thorns in his head. His back's been ripped to shreds. He's got nails through his hands and his feet. And he looks at his mum and says, I've sorted you. And he looks at John and says, you're it. And we're it now. We're the carriers of this now. Our destiny is in our hands, but our heart is in his hand. And he can turn it whichever, and you don't have to obey. You can go the other way. Abraham said, no way, I'm not doing that. But he didn't. He said, I will obey. Father God, I want to just say thank you. that You've never took your hand off this little old world. You've never took your eye off Israel. Um, You've never took your eye off us. And you're the God that supplies all of our needs. And you love us more than we can even know. And you can do more in us than we could ever ask or understand. You are God. You are mighty El Shaddai. You tell it to Abraham, and I'm receiving it here today. My God is the Almighty. He can do whatever he wants. And I'm asking that you will with us. Have your will in our lives. Do your, what you want to do with each one of us. Because it is your kingdom. And you do have the power to bring it to pass. And we will not be slack to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.